guess I just want to say before we dive in that um, I'm just really enjoying being church with you all and uh, working with you all to partner with Jesus to see all the big things that we want to see happen, happen. And I know, you know, 12 of us here in a room can feel like, hang on a minute, how on earth are we ever going to see the kingdom of heaven come in Bury? Um, but we are going to see it, and we are seeing it bit by bit, and everything is a step forward. And I guess uh, in the words of that song, even when we don't see it, God's working, even when we don't feel like we know what he's doing, he is still at work. Uh, and bit by bit, we're seeing something form here, which I'm really excited by. And I know it's going to have the power to transform Barry because Jesus is in the midst. And please uh, always be in touch with me if um, there's anything I can do for you, pray for you, help you with um, midweek. You should have, uh, I'm sure most of you have got my details. If not, I can pass them to you at the end. But I want to know that this isn't just a Sunday community. Uh, we're a whole week round community. Um, and we want to stand with you because we believe that the answer to Barry's problems is the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and you going to those people and those places. So, um, yeah, be in touch anytime. And I'm really loving being family with you all uh, and looking forward to seeing the, uh, the more of all that God has got for us building from here. We're going to read the final section from Colossians, beginning at chapter 4, verse 2. We're going to go right the way through to the end, and we'll have read the whole book over the last few weeks. If you've been away and you've missed any of the talks, they'll be online soon. Uh, you can find them on any podcasting app, on YouTube, and through our website if you want to catch up on any previous installments. And here is the final one. So Colossians 4, beginning at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, 
See to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Lord, we thank you for this letter and for your word. Speak to us now, we pray, through your Holy Spirit, to lead us to Jesus, the one that we worship and adore. May he be glorified now and forever. Amen. Amen. Well, this is the final uh, installment of this supreme series in the book of Colossians. And fittingly, I think there are three main finals, if you like, that we find in this passage. The first is some final instructions. The second are some final greetings. And the third is a final reminder. And we're going to work through each of those in turn. So Paul ends with some final instructions. And to me, this first section feels a little bit like famous last words. You know when someone's got one time to say something, the opportunity is now ending and they try and cram loads in. It feels a little bit like that in those first verses between two and six. The other image that came to mind was almost like cramming for an exam. You know when you're trying to write down, if I don't remember anything else, here's what I want to remember. And it feels a bit like that's what Paul is doing. Devote yourselves to prayer. Be watchful. Be thankful. Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message. Pray that I may proclaim the message clearly. Be wise in the way you act to outsiders. Let your conversations be full of grace. It's almost bullet point list. If you can only remember a few things from this letter, or here's all the other things that I wish I could have said but didn't really get the time to. Maybe the parchment was running out. Maybe the postman was just about to arrive and they needed to send it. It feels like Paul is giving here a little encapsulation, a bullet point list of some final instructions to remember. And from those verses, I can pick out five main things that Paul is calling them to remember and to live. The first is prayer. He says, be devoted to prayer. Pray for us as we pray for you. Paul is saying here, if you remember something from this letter, put it back to God in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Remember the people that are praying for you, wrestling in prayer, he says. D.L. Moody, the great American evangelist, said every move of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. And I believe that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Be devoted to prayer. Yes, there's stuff that you can do, but the greatest contribution you can make is by partnering with God in prayer to see things change in the heavenlies that they might then change on earth. Wrestle with God in prayer. Contend for his kingdom to come. I was listening to a podcast whilst mowing the lawn yesterday. Quite a long podcast because my lawn takes a long, long time to mow. And this guy was saying how he's been working in secular cities for years and years and years. How he's tried this and that. He's seen this movement come and this style um, take the ascendancy. And he basically said that COVID for him has just wiped so much of that out that churches all over the world are kind of having to reimagine how they might be because some of the things that worked before just don't seem to be working in the same way. You've got these huge churches that are having to go right back down to the drawing board to say, what is it to be the community of God when people have got used to watching church online and kind of like it and aren't really coming back in the same numbers? 
What is it to serve one another when volunteerism seems to be um, something that older generations get much more than younger ones and we're seeing our teams be threadbare? And it could have seemed like quite a bleak thing and he was wrestling with some really big thoughts. But the thing he came back to at the end was where are the people who are going to pray? Where are the people who are going to be those kneeling figures that we can trace back the next great move of God to? Paul's saying here, devote yourselves to prayer. Pray for us as we pray for you. And I want us here to be a praying people, contending first with God for the transformation of Berry, the transformation of our friends, our family, our street, our neighbors, our workplace, contending against the injustices that we see, yes, with activism, but first in prayer. Let's do nothing without prayer in what we seek to do. May it form a part of every gathering we have, every conversation that we're a part of. Let's be a people of prayer. First key theme from these first verses. Second thing, it says, be watchful and thankful. And I take from this that I think Paul is saying, be vigilant, be watchful, be aware, be alert of the days that you're in. You're being persecuted, the church is taking root but be vigilant as to what's going on keep your eyes open be alert too many people i think sleepwalk around as christians just absorbing influences and taking things in without really thinking it through paul's here saying be watchful watch for what's going on watch for the influences around you that are trying to lead you away from jesus be vigilant as to what you let affect your heart as to whether it's leading you towards or away from Jesus. But don't be watchful to the point that you become cynical or scared of the world in any way, because be watchful, but also be thankful. Where do you see God at work? Thank him for that. Where do you see other people be a blessing? Be thankful for that, because we believe that every good gift comes ultimately from God, and that his expression might have come through that person, but we know that it finds its source in him. Be aware be vigilant, but be thankful. Think of 10 things to be thankful for before one thing to ask God for. Remember all that he's already done before you complain at him for not having done the next thing. Always be a thankful people. Third key theme then from these first verses is open doors. Paul's saying, pray for us that doors might open in people's hearts to the gospel spreading. And when those doors are open, pray that I might speak boldly and clearly the message that God has given me. I think this comes again in prayer. We pray for doors to open. We pray for hearts to open, minds to open, for doors to open, literally to neighbors or friends that we haven't yet met. Pray that doors would open here, that the message of God might go out from this place. And find open doors in the hearts and the lives of people here in Bury. I was talking this week with a colleague, a, a senior person in the diocese. And every year or all the time, really, they do, as you would expect, all these sorts of statistical analysis of attendance and all these other things. And no surprise to any of you, I'm sure, things aren't great as it comes to church attendance and Christianity here in Manchester through the Anglican Church. And she was saying, look, we'd, we already knew things were going to be going down because COVID and everything that that meant, people that had literally died, but also people that had got disconnected from church communities. We knew it was going to be bad, but it was even worse than we were expecting. 
And I just sat in that room back there and thought, well, that's why we're here. If that isn't a rallying call to us, to say, okay, across the whole of Manchester, we don't have responsibility for that. That's not our weight to bear. But we do have responsibility for this patch. This is our ground, this community into which God has placed us. And I'm not content for the numbers just to keep going down and down and down, for people to die out for the gospel not to go to the next generation, to go to other people groups. I don't want to see that as a doom and gloom kind of a message, much as it is. I want to see that as a spurring on, a rallying call to us to pray that doors would open for the gospel to spread, for people's lives to be changed. I'd love for you to join me in that prayer. I guess it's what we're praying already with the healing for souls, that salvation would spread from here. Pray all the time that people in this area would come to know Jesus, for the gospel to spread, for new lives to come into the kingdom. Fourth thing then, Paul seems to say, have wisdom with non-believers. Use the opportunities that you have with people who don't currently know Jesus really wisely. Use every opportunity that you get. The small interactions that you might not think are very meaningful, show them such love in those that they see something of the God that you serve. Every conversation that you have, is there a way of encouraging them? Is there a way of speaking about the God who gives you encouragement? Every moment that you get with them, is that laced in prayer, as has been the common theme? I think he's also saying, be wise as to know where to invest your time and your resources. Who is open to the gospel and who's closed currently? He's saying, be wise with every opportunity that you have with people who don't currently know me. Live a life that displays the gospel of Jesus. Time is short. People need Jesus. Be wise with every interaction that you have. Don't waste any. Oh, there'll always be tomorrow. There'll always be next week. We always know that one time we'll say that and it just won't be true. Be wise in your interactions with non-believers. Use every opportunity. Show them Jesus. And finally, he talks about speech. Speak well of each other. Let your conversation be full of grace. Be kind in the way that you talk to and about each other. Let your conversations be seasoned with salt, bringing out the goodness, the flavor, the goodness that's in there. So many conversations, particularly in Britain, seem to just boil down to moaning and whining about the thing that's gone wrong. We pray that we moan that it's too cold and then it gets hot and it's too hot, right? We can never be happy. And I believe one of the calls for the church might be to be those who speak with encouragement, not with a kind of candy floss, vacuous kind of positivity, but with hope, with thankfulness. Speak well of each other. Speak with grace. Speak as if your speech could come out of the mouth of Jesus. I want to challenge you to build one another up with your speech. When you see something good in someone, call it out and say, I see something of God in you in that way. That's a bit of God's goodness on display in your character. Encourage one another where you see them do something great. Encourage them that you're backing them in prayer, that you're with them. Let's be those who build one another up. So that when we leave each other, we feel like there's a loss, right? We feel like, oh, I really needed some more of that. But I'm so thankful for all that they have given me. 
In this final instructions then, Paul takes us through prayer, being watchful and thankful, open doors for the gospel to spread, wisdom in how we relate and interact with non-believers, and then finally our speech, that we would speak well, always full of grace. Second section then of this final passage, after these final instructions, is this middle section, final greetings. Now this might seem like a bit of a random bit to include to us anyway, because we don't really know lots of the people who are listed. But here is Paul reeling off these faithful sisters and brothers who've been part of the gospel spreading to them. These people who maybe don't make the great roll call. They're not the Peters, the Pauls, the Moseses, the Abrahams. But they did their bit. And Paul here is showing us that what they did was significant. They're faithful ministers. They're servants of Jesus. They've been dispersed through persecution and church planting. And they can't all get together very easily. He's saying, pass this message amongst you. Yes, it was specifically written to you, Colossians, but it's also going to have benefit in Laodicea. And I think that says to us that it's also going to have benefit in Bury. It's God's truth, yes, for one community at first, but when it's spread, it doesn't lose any power because all of this stuff needs to take root in all of those who follow Jesus. We need to remember, obviously, as we read passages like this, that at this time they were unable to communicate in the ways that we could now. This was the one chance they would have got to send greetings in an open way. They couldn't pick up the phone or jump on a Zoom call. And I think here is Paul's heart being shown, that he thinks so highly of these people. He's so thankful for their part in the gospel. And he's cheering them on as they read this out and live this out. If I was wanting to write a letter to St. Peter's, say I went on a great sabbatical, and wrote you, you know, the St. Peter's letter akin to the Colossians, in this section, there are so many people that I'd want to include. I'd be saying, greet our bishops and our archdeacon and all the people in the diocese that are rooting for St. Peter's and really wanting it to make a difference. Greet them in the Lord and treat them well. I'd be talking about St. Philip's and all the generosity that they showed in sending people and money and backing us in prayer for so long. I'd be talking about Tristan and Metro Church just down the road, Russell and Radcliffe Road Baptist, Nigel and Berry Christian Fellowship, Paul and Berry Baptist Church, and loads of other churches around here. I'd be saying, greet them in the name of Jesus. They've supported me and welcomed us so, so well, better than I would have expected if I'm being completely honest. And I'd be saying, greet them, be encouraged by them. I'd probably be writing in this section about Harvey, saying, give thanks to God for him being willing to let this happen, for stepping aside to an extent in order that a new thing could come in. I'd be talking about people all across this country and even further afield who want to remain nameless, but have sent money to this church that it could do what it's doing. I know friends of ours who've sent lots of money because they believe in what's going on here they might never visit they might come once in a blue moon but they back what's going on here sometimes it happens that they just don't even tell me that it's going on and I just get this message from our treasurer being like do you know what this is or where this has come from and how encouraging it is that people are saying yeah times are tight and I'm already giving to my own church but over and above I want to give to this 
Know that whilst what's going on here might feel small currently, there's almost loads of other people in this room sat around you and behind you who aren't here physically, but they are backing what's going on here in spirit. All of these people that I've listed and so many more, they're rooting for us, let alone the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us and are rooting for us in heaven. So remember that we are a thread, if you like, in a huge tapestry. We're like a line in the story of the epic film of God's work in history. We're like a little cell in a huge body. It's significant and worth it. And as we play our part alongside everyone else, encouraging them as they encourage us, we will see heaven and earth become one as Jesus is made Lord over all. So that's final greetings. And then we get to the very last verse, and I've entitled this a final reminder. Verse 18 says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, often in these times, scribes would have been used to write letters. For instance, we get to the end of Romans, and in Romans 16, verse 23, it tells us that a guy called Tertius wrote the letter to the Romans, that Paul dictated it, but Tertius was the one that actually wrote it down. And we don't know who physically wrote Colossians, but it's again a scribe, someone who wrote it, who heard Paul speak it when he was in prison through the bars or however it worked, who wrote it down and made sure that it reached its destination. So this could be Paul just signing off the letter himself, as if his PA has written it for him and just left the little box at the bottom for him to actually write his signature, a personal authenticating touch, if you like. But I've heard somebody else speak about this verse and say something, wonder out loud, if you like. And I offer this to you because I think there's some truth in it and the potential that there's something slightly deeper going on. Paul physically suffered for Jesus in a huge way. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he got the 40 lashes minus one on more than one occasion. Now, one of those treatments on its own killed a lot of people, and Paul went through it many times over. So he was obviously quite a tough guy, resilient guy. But all of those things would have taken their toll, right? Being physically beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. I think he would have had broken bones, a distorted, maimed kind of a body. Particularly think about being stoned. Your natural reaction is to cover your face, right? You don't want to be hit in the head. And I wonder if what's happened here, particularly without the brilliance of modern medicine, correcting us and operating and resetting broken bodies. I wonder if Paul's body was actually pretty battered. Maybe he was what we might call now disabled in some way because he'd taken so many beatings. His hands particularly, his arms would have stopped so many stones hitting his face that maybe he literally couldn't pick a pen up. Now I don't know that that is absolutely true. But there is something in it that he takes the pen right at the end. He's not content for him not to have put anything in. And he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Like he's grabbing for the pen saying, I've got to write something, even though this is painful and difficult for me. 
And it seems to be true to me because it makes sense of what he says. Remember my chains. Remember that I'm in prison. Remember that I've gone through shipwreck and beating and trial and scorn and disgrace. Remember that I'm not asking you to do anything that I've not done myself. Remember that Jesus for me is bigger and better than even my body being physically broken and battered and bruised. I know that I'm going to get a resurrection body, as he wrote to the Corinthians. I know that this is going to be renewed, that life on earth is temporary, but life in heaven with Jesus is forever. I think what Paul is doing here is saying, remember my chains. Remember that I've gone through this too. Remember that I'm in prison. Like I'm not having the best of times right now, but I've written you this letter, and it's an encouragement for you. I think he's grabbed the pen And all he could probably physically write is one verse. But he says, remember my chains. Grace be with you. And I guess with that in mind, the question that it begs for us is, what's Jesus worth to us? Because Paul can say he's worth shipwreck and ruin and potentially being disabled Certainly he would have been battered from that, scarred and bruised, if nothing more. Paul's able to say that, but it begs the question of us, doesn't it? What's Jesus worth to us? Those of us who know him, who've been following him for a little while even, is he worth a bit of discomfort? Is he worth getting up early to pray? Is he worth staying up late to read scripture? Is Jesus worth a bit less sleep? For so many people, it seems like that would be too far to go. Don't let that be true here of us. Is he worth a proportion of your income, regularly given, and then over and above when you're able to fund what he's doing here and across the world? Is he worth your reputation? Being the one who's all out for Jesus, whatever comes back at you because of that. Is he worth your Monday to Saturday, not just your Sunday? Is he worth your time, given over not to your own comfort or pleasure, but to serve someone else, to go and do something that will be meaningful for them, to bless them in the name of Jesus? Paul, I think here in this final reminder, is saying, look at what I've given up for Jesus. Not as a way of bringing glory to Paul, but as a way of saying, Jesus is worth even all of this. That I don't look back on any of that stuff and wish I hadn't done it. I don't look back on any of that stuff with any shame. Because I believe that what Jesus has called me to is even greater. That his goodness, his love, his power is worth all of this and so much more. This is almost, in the very final verse, it almost gives personal credence, if you like, to the central message as we put it through this series. Jesus is supreme over everything over my body, over my future, over my reputation. He's supreme over all that could come against me. And the best use of our lives is to make him Lord over all of us. To give up anything that would come in the way. That we might take another step towards life in all its fullness, which is always Jesus' aim for us. Where there's overflowing joy, where there's intimacy with him in the highs and in the lows, where there's glory upon glory and grace upon grace, Jesus is worth it all, supreme over everything, and the best use of our life today, just as it was for Paul back then, 
is to make him Lord over all and to see the adventure that he invites us then onto.